Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, November 22nd, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I suppose we'll start with Thursday night's most interesting outcome. Happened in the first game of the 2K Empire Classic inside New York's Madison Square Garden. Final score, Georgetown 82, number 22, Texas 66. Patrick Ewing's Hoyas down five at the half, but then outscored UT 45-24 in the final 20 minutes. So Texas associate head coach, defensive genius, Luke Yaklish, probably going to watch like 49 straight hours a tape. And I'm not even trying to be funny. Like, Luke is great, undeniably. My point is that it's just wild to see his defense give up 45 points in 20 minutes. Norlander. What did you make of Patrick Ewing's big win, which sets up a Friday night showdown between Patrick Ewing and Mike Krzyzewski at MSG, where I know you'll be in attendance? I will be. Um, let's get to what happened Thursday night, because uh, I, I thought certainly it possible for Georgetown to get a win here, but I thought Texas was the better team. If they were playing a, a neutral court five-game series, I still would take Texas to win uh, a three out of five against the Hoyas. But for them to just come back and dominate and find the answers against Texas's defense was pretty shocking for me. I mean, I didn't think that Georgetown had a 16-point win in them over a Texas squad that's obviously ranked and now is in danger. Uh, it probably will fall out of the rankings come Monday's update, regardless of if Texas can beat Cal by 1 or 100 um, here on Friday night. Uh, but what a what a strong win uh, for Georgetown um, to, to get this kind of victory. We talked a little bit on the previous podcast in terms of, you know, what we think the – the Hoyas are doing where they're going overall. At 4-1, and one, um, they're looking offensively uh, pretty solid. Mac McClung is making a nice progression here in his sophomore season, and Yurt Seven remains just he's, he is a real difference maker down low. Uh, so for me, uh, me personally, I thought Thursday was more about Georgetown winning in the style that it did uh, as opposed to Texas losing how it did that, you know, that, Obviously, it's troublesome for Texas. Um, just a complete no-show in the second half, and that's not common uh, to that extent um, with Shaka Smart's Texas teams. But there you have it, man. Good, good on, uh, good on the Hoyas here, and yeah, it sets up a, a night. I would think that the Garden will be um, close to capacity given it's Patrick Ewing. Georgetown still has a strong following in the city, and then Duke obviously always draws to MSG. I am compelled to bring up something that I mentioned on uh, an earlier podcast this week. Penn State owns a 15-point win over that same Georgetown team and is now 4-0 on the season, 25th at Ken Palm. Show respect for Pat Chambers and the job he's doing with those Nittany Lions. Um, I'm getting there. They got a tricky home one against Yale on Saturday. I'm assuming that's not in our Fave Five picks, but uh, if they can get that, if they can get that win, and then they got to play Ole Miss against uh, in Barclays Center next week, I will. I, good start. Maryland Eastern Shore, Wagner, Bucknell among the uh, among the victories here. But Penn State is winning. It's winning big. Um, Pat Chambers is off to a very good start. And, yes, they are ranked highly in Ken Palm, so they just might be on the way to proving me quite wrong. Texas um, losing removes them from the top 25 and 1. We're recording this on Friday morning. I still haven't updated the top 25 and 1 yet. Running a little behind on this Friday. <laughs> okay. But um, i got a spot open now. I'm, I'm, I believe I'm going to give it to Colorado because Colorado is ranked in the AP poll. It's not been in the top 25 and 1 at all. 
So I believe Colorado is going to fill that spot. Really? But I'm, but I'm thinking about Penn State. Uh, Penn State has a has a solid case here, and Colorado is the only um, bright spot, mostly right now at the moment with the Pac-12 parish. Do you realize how bad the Pac-12 was on Thursday night? Washington State lost at home uh, against Omaha. UCLA lost to Hofstra at home. You had Cal getting roasted by Duke, and there was one more. Oh, yeah, Utah lost. They got killed by Coastal Carolina. Even Arizona, like, had issues getting past South Dakota State. So if you want to go Colorado, I don't disagree with it. The Pac-12 could use that kind of shine. Oregon's been fine and all. But uh, the league's been off to a good start. But Thursday was just a dark – it was a dark night, a, a reminiscent night of uh, 2018 for the Pac-12. Between Colorado and Penn State, I personally think Colorado's the better team, so that's my official vote for you. Cool. Um, I will uh, probably go with Colorado then. But let 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 the record show that if it was the top 25 and 2, two. Penn State would probably be number 27. All right, let's focus back on uh, Friday night, Georgetown Duke inside the garden. Um, I, 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 for whatever reason, I've reached a point in my life where I don't really care about going to actual sporting events. I, I just I, I have more fun watching them on television. Uh, like last week, I went to a, Gri- a Grizzlies game uh, with my wife and our youngest son, and it was terrific because it was uh, Mike Conley's return to FedEx Forum. Uh, John Morant was awesome, but like I would have had just as much fun, more fun, maybe just watching <laughs> it on my couch than actually being in the building. I say all that to say this: I think it's going to be awesome inside the Garden. Georgetown Duke, Patrick Ewing on the sideline, coaching against Coach K. A lot of storylines here. You know, after last night, Mike Shashevsky is now um, 217-34 and 34 all time while coaching a team that's ranked number one in the AP poll. And if he wins tonight, it will be his 218th victory. Think about that for a second. It'll be his 218th victory as the coach of the number one ranked team in the country. He will pass John Wooden, and that will be the most all time. So you've got that storyline, which is tremendous. And then – You've got Coach K against Patrick Ewing inside Madison Square Garden. These are two of the icons of college basketball, obviously for different reasons. Mike is arguably, if not undeniably, the the greatest college basketball coach of all time. And Patrick Ewing is one of the greatest college basketball players of all time. You know, one of my first memories of college basketball is Patrick Ewing being an absolute monster. Um, That's when I got into the sport. He was at Georgetown the 82, 83, 84, 85 season, spent four years in college. That would never happen if he were playing now as opposed to then. Mm-hmm. A consensus, think one of the consensus, first team All-American three years, was one of the very first freshmen to be a, an, an undeniable force in the sport. He took Georgetown to three national title games. In a four-year career, they went one and two in those games. They won one. Uh, they lost to, obviously, the most famous loss being the loss to Villanova in the 1985 National Championship game. But to have those two, I really think this is accurate, icons of the sport of college basketball coaching against each other in the building in Midtown Manhattan where Pat spent 15 years as a star for the New York Knicks putting together a Hall of Fame career – um, that's going to be an awesome thing to, to be a part of. I, I, I'm on some level 
jealous that I won't be there uh, with you because I would assume that the energy in the building will be just absolutely tremendous. I think so. I think it should be pretty fantastic. You know, you throw in the fact that it is a Friday night, so uh, some people that otherwise might not want to scoot down to Midtown Manhattan for whatever reason, if it was a, 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 a traditional weekday, now they're going to make the time to get there. And yes, I would think that the garden will be buzzing. I hope we get a. I do hope we get a good game. I was curious if. Shashevsky uh, had ever coached against Georgetown when Ewing was a player. He did not. Duke is six and three all time against Georgetown. The first meeting between these two schools happened uh, long after Ewing left. It was it was 1989. Um, but I'll I'll be you know just. Purely from a on the court X and O perspective, uh, James Akinjo, who in some respects had had his way with that Texas backcourt uh, on Thursday, um, how will Trey Jones match up with him? How will that backcourt of Duke match up with Georgetown's backcourt overall? And then Yurt Seven going against Vernon Carey. Those are two different kinds of big men. Um, so I, I'm just I I'm actually fascinated by the matchups here. Duke is the better team, but I I don't put it past Georgetown uh, to get a win there. Uh, I think. Uh, I think they should have a shot. I, I wouldn't guess that the line is too, too close, but I'm certainly hoping for a game in single digits, and uh, ideally the Garden will be uh, will be pretty pop. And that's obviously the second game Texas, by nature of losing, now is going to try and get right against a Cal team that was obviously just you know, as expected. Uh, first year under Mark Fox, just roasted by Duke um, in the second game on Thursday night. You mentioned Vernon Carey. We are wrong about a lot of stuff. But one of the things that we might have gotten right um, is in the preseason we were talking about um, Duke and specifically Vernon Carey, who is not really showing up on mock drafts because he's a he's a traditional big as opposed to the type of big NBA franchises value right now. And I don't want to say that those guys are unplayable in the NBA, but they're less playable than they've ever been. But one of the points I made is that what we might find out is he's not a great NBA prospect for you know, reasons I just stated, but it won't stop him from being a great college player. And so far, he is a great college player. He got 31-12 and 12 yeah. in the 87-52 win over Cal Thursday night. He's now averaging 18 points and 9 rebounds in 23.2 minutes per game. He's been, he's been great. He has been great. How about this? He's three for three from three point range. Um, so he might not, he might average maybe, he might get total 25 this season, but, uh, but when he steps out so far, he's been uh, he's been he's been true so far. Yeah, he's sixty percent from two point range. He has been he's been solid all around. Trey Jones has been their most important player. I don't think that's really up for debate. But uh, Carey has been uh, steady, and he'll get his. He mentioned, you know, when I spoke to him after the Champions Classic, that going up against Yudoka Azubuki was like the biggest physical challenge he's ever had in his career. Uh, that's for sure. I think. Uh, in terms of an all-around challenge, I think your seven here on Friday night will provide just a, a different level of preparation and headiness required of Kerry. So I'm, I'm, I think I'm most intrigued to see what we get there. Should be a good one. Let's just hope uh, it's good. Now I, I guarantee you this: if Georgetown is able to pull this off, we will, uh, we will talk about the Hoyas on what will be the third, thir- three out of four podcasts, given we had the emergency pod on Wiseman. Um, but we'll wait and see if they can get that. If, if they do, by the way, if Georgetown does get that win you'll see in a hurry there are just certain teams in college basketball and in college football because they were dominant in a certain era they still are able to carry cachet like Georgetown has not been a relevant program for most of the past 15 years but you get Patrick Ewing on the sideline you beat Duke you find out in a hurry that it just in terms of um 
national media appeal and brand power, as much as that term might make me cringe, like Georgetown is a top 20 type of school within the sport, undoubtedly, when it is really cruising. I don't think they're going to beat Duke, but if they do, you'll see in a hurry like how, how much the buzz around that team really ups up a, a few annies if they're able to pull it off. You're exactly right. Like I, I'm old now, but when I was young, uh, Georgetown was one of the biggest brands in the sport of college basketball. It was like Georgetown was a massive brand. Honestly, it's the same thing with UNLV. Yeah. UNLV hasn't been what UNLV used to be in a while. I, I do believe TJ Osselberger will do a great job there and get that back on track. But still, UNLV still carries a certain – like UNLV, th- th- those letters will still show up in a rap track every once in a while, right? Because yeah. of, of what they were once upon a time, and Georgetown is 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 that. And, and so just having the br- – I don't know what Georgetown is as a team. We'll see. But having the brand of Georgetown with Pat Ewing inside the garden against Duke, which is I, – I, with Kentucky, I'm not even going to try to start this argument. <laughs> right there with Kentucky as arguably the biggest brand in the sport. North, I'll just throw North Carolina in there as well, so nobody gets mad. North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, yeah. big, massive, current brands in the sport of college basketball. Um, you get Georgetown, Duke, Pat, you and Coach K. That that's that's going to be great. Trivia time. Throw it at me. Okay, so I mentioned Pat led Georgetown to. Three championship games in a four-year career. Went one and two in those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the won the title in 1984. Was projected to to win it again in 85. They're the number one overall seed heading into the NCAA tournament, and then they of course lose um, to Villanova in the championship game. What did Villanova shoot from the field in that championship game against Georgetown? Eighty percent. Seventy-eight point six. Pretty good. All right. Close <laughs> enough. Close enough. Yeah. Okay, so like last night I started reading as I'm preparing for this. I just, I, you know, you click on one Patrick Ewing thing. And next thing you know, you're reading his entire life story, right? And it just is, and I obviously I knew. You what, read Patrick Ewing's life story? I read his life story. I know, every, I know everything about Patrick Ewing right now. Do you want to know one of the things I learned? Um, I, I, I do actually. One, in high school, he took a handful of visits to, to colleges. Yep. Obviously, ultimately enrolled in Georgetown. Also visited Villanova. Did not I never knew that. that. Did not know that. He, okay. Yeah, he took, took a visit to Villanova, then ends up the last game of his college career playing against Villanova. And though I knew this part, it's still just wild every time you read it. They shot 78.6% from the field. They were 22 of 28 from the field in the national championship game. That is bananas. Yeah, and they used what they thought was the only proper way to to play Georgetown in order to pull off the upset. Now, seed-wise, it is a big upset, but I will also say, and we, sh- we can move on here in a second, but um, that's like not the biggest upset in the history of college basketball. Villanova was in the same conference as Georgetown, played sure. them tight two times prior. It was kind of like, kind of, like when the Giants almost beat the Patriots in Week 17, the year that the Patriots didn't lose a game in the regular season, and then the Giants beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I think that's the closest championship parallel we see in American sports. So it's, it's an all-time victory, an all-time performance. There's no doubt about it. But 
there have been much bigger upsets in the history of college basketball than Villanova over, over Georgetown. The coaching staffs knew each other. They were familiar with each other. An awesome win and certainly an all-time championship game performance. But I've always thought that the uh, – the hyperbole around Villanova's win and you know that being like this amazing upset, I just I've always felt it's been a little overstated. That's all. It it, it is, and I can actually uh, give you the numbers on it. Villanova entered the in uh, the championship game with a twenty four and ten record. They were an eight seed in the tournament. Georgetown was the number one overall seed. They entered the championship game with a thirty five and two. Um, record. So if you just base it on that, a one seed against an eight, one team's 35 and two, Villanova's 24 and 10, uh, one team is two and oh against the other team. It sounds like this amazing upset, but you're exactly right. They played twice in the regular season. Both were competitive games. And at tip off, Georgetown was only an eight point favorite over Villanova. Good I mean, that, stat. That's not even that crazy. And you know why I think that this has been more built up as an upset in, over the years, Parrish? Do you know what that tournament was? It was the first time they went to 64 teams. So it was the first time that you had sevens and eights next to teams. And so the very first year you do it, you have Villanova you know, just squeaking in. They're the lowest possible seed they could have been from, a, from a, I guess, a power conference standpoint. There had never been a seed that low before make it. So it's a bigger field. They crack through. And, uh, and so I think that's also what added up to kind of the lore around the upset. Trivia time! Oh, boy. I'm not even close to ready, but go ahead. Can you name the other two Final Four teams at the 1985 Final Four? St. John's. St. John's? St. John's is one, correct. And hold on. John's, Georgetown, Nova. Georgetown beat St. John's. Okay, give me two guesses. Uh, is, Is one of them Houston? Nope. Okay. I really want to get this. Um, damn it, Parrish. Uh, Duke. Duke is incorrect. Duke is 86, and that's the first one. Um, come on! Uh, give me a conference. It would have been, at the time, the Metro Conference. Don't tell me it's Memphis State. Memphis State University. Boom. All right, there we go. There we <laughs> yeah, go. Because um, that's what, like I mentioned, Patrick Ewing was a consensus first-team All-American uh, three out of four years of college. Keith Lee was a consensus first-team All-American two years and a second-team All-American a third year. And so that was the way I was supposed to spend my Monday night uh, <laughs> of the NCAA tournament. It was going to be Keith Lee, my idol when I was a young kid against Patrick Ewing in the championship game of the NCAA tournament, and Villanova screwed up everything. Didn't go down that way. This has been a nice little uh, a nice little sidetrack there. Um, yeah, so anyway, Patrick Ewing against Mike Krzyzewski inside the garden. That, that's what I was trying to figure out. What are we even talking about? Yeah, yeah. Patrick Ewing against Mike Krzyzewski inside the garden on Friday night. Norlander will be there, so uh, make sure to, to, to read what he writes um, at cbssports.com. Let's move on. Michigan State Hall of Fame coach Tom Izzo has said he will resign his position on the board of directors of the National Association of Basketball Coaches, partly because of his frustration with how the NCAA is handling transfer waivers. We're going to get into that next. But first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. 
The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. So Michigan State Hall of Fame coach Tom Izzo has said he's going to resign his position on the board of directors of the NABC, partly because of his frustration with how the NCAA is handling transfer waivers. This comes after Joey Hauser's waiver request was denied. He transferred from Marquette to Michigan State in May. Uh, according to Tom, wasn't even going to apply for a waiver initially, like just sort of understood. I'm, I'm a D1 transfer, D1 school to D1 school. I'm going to have to sit out. But then they started watching all of these waivers be granted and all of these transfers um, be granted immediate eligibility. So they were like, why not? Let's just let's 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 try. And so they submit the waiver request. It is denied. And now Tom Izzo is mad and he's quit the NABC. Your thoughts on this? national headline well he quit the nabc board of directors he didn't go full uh steve donahue and just outright the the coach at penn and outright just quit the nabc which was a bold and and remains an impressive move there i'm not surprised entirely by Izzo doing this only because i spoke with tom on the phone about a bunch of random stuff um I guess like two days before the start of the season. And at that time, he was also expressing frustration um, with transfers and who gets cleared and who doesn't. And at the time, like Joey Hauser had been denied. They were still going through the appeal process. He wasn't optimistic that they were going to win out. And I think Izzo, who has been... A person willing to give up a lot of his time. I mean, we're going to go really inside baseball here, but when you are a coach and you agree to be involved at the NABC level, uh, I even talked about this with Mike Bray at the ACC meetings. Like, it is a time squeeze. Paris, think about like the, what we do on a day to day basis. So, for the listeners, if you're if you're the kind of person who's got to like be on these conference calls seven times a week and how much you can't stand it. We're fortunate that we don't have to. Our, our conference calls are, are calling coaches and trying to get that stuff done. But the NABC requires so much just random stuff that you have to tend to, like at, uh, you know, at all hours of the day, you're checking emails, you got to sit on a 40-minute conference call while you're trying to like watch tape and, and get down notes as you're prepping for games. I, just, I bring that up to say the coaches that do it, uh, they do it for the benefit of the game, but it can get it can get old. Like if the, if you are trying to change things for the betterment of college basketball, and you eventually feel like your voice is not being heard or nothing has changed, like it can get discouraging. You're just like, you know what? I'm just done. So I'm not surprised that Izzo did this. Um, 
I think this was just finally the, you know what, like, uh, he's just fed up with this kind of stuff. And Izzo has, is certainly reaching, I think he's almost 65 if he's not 65 already. He has just he has reached, he has reached an I don't give an F age. Um, and given all that he's accomplished, he's entitled to that. I mean, he's also trying to coach, uh, you know, a team that could be number one yet again and trying to get that. Like, he desperately wants that second national championship. Think about how many times he gets to the Final Four cannot get that second title. I think it's something that really just just aches at him in a big way. And so I think this was just a, a situation where if Hauser wasn't getting it, he's like, you know what, um, I'm just, I got to step away from this. So um, a little bit of a dramatic response, but uh, coincidentally, given that I talked to him about this a few weeks ago, I'm not surprised that he wound up doing it because I think he's just fed up. I've been consistent on this issue for years. Uh, given that the rule is in place, um, I'm never surprised when the rule is enforced. You know, like I, I, the rule is if you transfer from one Division One university to another in this sport, and it's not every sport. That's the thing some people don't realize. Mm-hmm. It's not every sport. If you play soccer, you can transfer from uh, Marquette to Michigan State, no problem. But in men's basketball, women's basketball, football, baseball, hockey, five sports, uh, they, they have the sit-out rule. And so I'm never surprised when the rule is enforced, and I don't throw my hands up in the air and start screaming every time the rule is enforced. What I will do is throw my hands up in the air and scream, it shouldn't be a rule. It's, it's a little bit it, – it, it's like the James Wiseman situation. I, I'm not bothered, even though I feel sick for him, I'm not bothered by the idea that the NCAA enforced its rules. I hate the rules – I wish they'd change the rule, but when you violate the rule, there's a punishment that goes with that if you're caught, and so it is what it is. I'm glad Tom did this because it has created a conversation. We're talking about it yeah. because what he did, and I hope it leads to change. But he right now is doing nothing different than the University of Memphis president is doing right now. You could scream about how unfair these rules are whenever you want and work to change them. Every day. But when you only scream when the rules are enforced um, in a way that that damages you or something you care about, then it's, I think, a little less effective. I'm the biggest Tom Izzo fan there is, and I hope his voice and his actions lead to change. Um, but I wish he'd have been yelling about this a year ago, five years ago as well. Because, um, the, the, and I understand his issue isn't necessarily with players shouldn't have to sit out it's that why do some have to sit out yes. and others don't the, the the inconsistency with which these transfer waivers are granted frustrates him and it frustrates me i don't understand that's that's the biggest issue here nobody understands it nobody understands why one player can play and another player cannot and so the NCAA would be wise to just clean this up and uh and I hope Tom's actions and words push it in that direction, creates a conversation where it brings about change because the the inconsistency and the uncertainty is just confusing for everybody. And anytime you've got confusion uh, hand in hand with it, you're going to have frustration. What my rule would be, uh, no, no sit outs. If you transfer from one Division One university to another, you should be allowed to play immediately, not in season. Like I can draw a line somewhere. Not in. I don't think you should be able to play for Michigan Marquette uh, last night and then play for Michigan State on Tuesday. Like, but but if you want to transfer between seasons, 
you should be able to play the next season. If it's okay for most Division One athletes in most sports, then um, you'll never convince me it's not okay for men's basketball players, women's basketball players, football players, baseball players, and hockey players. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Coaches have too much power. The NABC still has too much influence over the rule changes, and coaches are not going to – I am with you, but – the coaches collectively, that the NABC body is not going to approve um, every single transfer being free to have immediate eligibility regardless of circumstance there because um, I, I think the transfer stuff is a little overblown, but the coaches don't. The coaches hate it, and they're not going to induce something that would – up the transfer list. They're already, like, coaches already now, the the way that the college basketball, uh, you know, its recruiting rhythms have evolved, uh, the, the coaches are allotting, like, right now, players are committing in the class of 2020, right? Coaches are allotting minimum of one and really prepping for two other open spots because they know they're going to lose players to transfer even if they can't for sure identify who those players right now are in November. They know it's happening. And so they're not going to pass a rule that allows everybody to have immediate eligibility, in effect having roster changeover of four, five, six guys on average year over year. So I think if we're going to go one way or the other, the more likely outcome to me and maybe we're forever in a stalemate parish, but the more likely outcome to me is that it would be uh, a mandatory sit-out year. If we are going to get consistency on the issue, I I'm, I cannot fathom or envision a scenario in which the coaches allow what we are in favor of to happen. I think you're probably right. I also think that's hypocritical of the coaches. And I've said this to to coaches I'm friendly with, friends with, who, who like we – I mean, I think I've argued with this – I think I've argued about this with Tom Izzo before. <laughs> like, you know, it, yeah. Tom is great in the sense that I think he and I respect each other and we like each other. Um, but but we have real disagreements on issues in college basketball. Um, and and I I I think I remember arguing with him about the transfer rule once upon a time. And, and Mark Mark Few, who is somebody else I like immensely. I, I think we have different views on big topics within the sport. But the great thing about Tom and also Mark is that you can argue with them, question them, push back, and they don't – by the end of the conversation, they say, hey, it's great catching up with you. Good mm -hmm. to talk to you. Like they don't hold it – they don't get mad and hold it. I really respect that um, uh, immensely. But I will say, I, I, when coaches say, I think everybody should have to sit out, because it makes my job harder. That's really what they're saying. It makes my job harder. It's incredibly hypocritical because these same people, in some cases, got no problem pushing somebody out they don't want. They'll push them right out the door. Yeah. But then somebody gets good at the low major, mid major level, so they got better opportunities. Well, well, you, you we can't lose them. Well, if he was bad, you'd push him out. But if he's good, he can't he can't walk out. So I, I I've always thought that that's just um. You shouldn't be able to have it both ways. And I know that some coaches will tell you uh, you need the one-year sit-out as a deterrent to, to, to transfers because otherwise it'll just be free agency in the sport. Here's the truth. Most players don't want to transfer. Almost always when people transfer, they transfer because they're not getting what they want out of their current situation. Maybe it's playing time. Maybe it's something else. But, but – 
you know, Duke doesn't lose all their transfers every year. Most people are happy where they're at. And when they're not, why would you be against them uh, leaving that situation? And I know who this would impact the most if you allowed no setouts is is low major and mid major coaches because they would recruit players mm-hmm. and then those players would blow up and then NC State would pick up the phone or or uh, you know Oregon would pick up the phone any high major program and say hey young man um, we didn't even know who you were coming out of high school but uh, you just averaged uh, 17 points per game in the uh, Sun Belt so why don't you you, you come with us and I know that would be I, I'd hate to be a Sun Belt coach under those circumstances because you would lose your best players. Uh, every year, um, you or you'd at least be likely, you'd be at risk of losing your best player every year. But here's the thing, and I wrote this column years ago. Um, I wish I could find it, but I can't find tons of stuff I wrote years ago. <laughs> okay. um, the column was, I, wish I can't, I remember, I can't remember who the Google. coach was, but he was frustrated that his players were being recruited off of his mid-major campus. And the point I made is that most mid-major coaches and mid-major players, low-major coaches, low-major players, are at where they're at for the exact same reason, because that's the best opportunity they've got. Nobody dreams about coaching, and I don't say this to disparage anything, nobody dreams about coaching in the Sun Belt. You dream about coaching in the ACC or the Big 12 or whatever, but you end up as a Sun Belt coach because that's the best job you can get at that time. But here's the great thing. If you prove you're awesome in the Sun Belt, sometimes a better opportunity will um, present itself. And then you know what the coaches do every time? They take the better opportunity. They jump as soon as they can jump. So if it's okay for coaches to do, then why, why do we think it's a bad thing when players do it? If you can be a Sun Belt coach or a Southern Conference coach um, or a MEAC coach, whatever, and if you prove to be so awesome – you get better opportunities and then you take advantage of them and everybody celebrates that, then why would it be the worst thing in the world for a low major player or mid major player when they prove they're unbelievable at that level and they get better opportunities? Why would it be the worst thing in the world for them to then take advantage of, of that opportunity? Again, you can't, at least in my mind, have it both ways. Yeah. Rest your case. I got only confirmation and head nods to everything you just said. The last point I would make on this is that coaches will tell you you need, and I, I think I was going down this path and then I took a hard left, um, uh, you need a deterrent to, to transferring. Um, there, there are, transferring is already not easy. You know, when you think of these people as just basketball players, mm-hmm. like we just watch them on TV and then we, don't, we think that's all. That, they, they're also people with friends and girlfriends and, and, and boyfriends, and, and, and they, 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 they build a life on a college campus. Leaving that is not always easy. You have to, you know, actually move. So everything that goes into that, your your classes may not transfer yeah, properly lose, from you one lose, school. You lose some credits, no doubt. Yeah, it's like there are already um, things that make transferring not ideal for student athletes. So we don't need to add to that, I don't think. And the fact that most Division One uh, Division One uh, athletes in most sports don't have to deal with this. Uh, suggest to me that that men's basketball players, women's basketball players, football players, baseball players, hockey players, they shouldn't have to deal with it either. Yep. So we'll see Joey Hauser at Michigan State a season from now, which was the expectation, and the same with uh, his brother, Sam, who will be, if you forgot, at Virginia. All right. Let's, we want to get into our picks. Faye Five. 
It's uh, is that what we're calling this? Why not the Fave Five? The Fave Five. I don't love it. Okay, well, you got a better name. Someone suggested to us the Final Five as opposed to the Final Four, but I don't know about that. Well, it'll be a work in progress. Okay. For now, we'll stick with. For now, we'll stick with Fave Five. But okay. if we can come up with something better, uh, we we'll are cer- taking all recommendations we'll, we'll on this. Move. Okay, so we got five games. Uh, you're keeping track. Is it true I, we're both four and six? That right is now? correct. We are both four and six after two weeks, and I'm I'm keeping yeah I'm keeping track. So here we go. I, as usual, I don't know the games you're going to give me. So here we go. I, I picked the games. Uh, we're both four and six against the spread. And for people who might just be catching up, we decided in advance of this season we will pick five games against the spread at the end of every Friday podcast. Here we are. Let's go. Okay. One of my rules over the years. I, can't, I know. You, you talked about this last week. You don't, everyone knows. Come on. I was about to, I, I was about to say something nice. You're going to say that the games on Friday are awesome, and so let's do it, right? No, what I was going to say is that as I'm getting older – I'm trying to be more agreeable with other <laughs> I don't and, know about that. <laughs> and I'm trying to consider other points of views without thinking everybody else in the world is dumb. Okay. And so with this in mind, I have committed. Whew. I'm going to pick Friday games. Let's do it. Let's My do this. Always, I'm not picking Friday games, but now I'm going to pick Friday games. We got some so, good ones. So we will start with... Uh, Bowling Green, Western Kentucky, lay it on me. That is not where we're starting. Okay, Radford, Bradley, let's do this. I'm trying to do them in the order in which they will be played. So let me see what time this Duke-Georgetown game tip. That's 9.30. 7 o'clock Eastern. Okay, never mind. (laughs) I should know this. I'm going to the game. All right, good times. Okay, okay, 7 o'clock Eastern. Put this in your calendar. 7 o'clock Eastern. It'll be number one Duke against number nothing. They're not ranked. Georgetown. Number nothing. <laughs> Inside Madison Square Garden. Duke is a 13-point favorite. And we actually have the lines here because they're Friday games because for Saturday and Sunday, we got to go to Camp 13 okay. points? 13 points. <sighs> okay. I'm going Georgetown plus 13. I'm inspired enough. Duke wiped the floor with Cal, but... Patrick Ewing's going to have that Knicks mojo, whatever that means. 1995 Knicks mojo. Yeah. <laughs> better, better not have the Knicks Actually, mojo. That's a valid point. <laughs> I will go Hoyas plus 13, going to log it right now. I'm taking Georgetown plus 13 as well. And this is where um, I, I don't know what I really think about that. I'm a terrible uh, picker against the spread. Like uh, you, you can ask uh, my wife who checks the checking account every once in a while <laughs> uh, so but but like I, what I want is a competitive fun night inside the garden and Duke you know running away from Georgetown like they ran away from Cal on Thursday that's not fun so give me uh, Georgetown plus 13 because I want to watch a fun basketball game tonight Friday nights also seven o'clock Eastern in Jamaica love it which is where Patrick Ewing was born that's correct I read his whole life story. <laughs> um, you get LSU yeah. against number 15, Utah State. Utah State is a one-and-a-half-point favorite. I love it that we're picking it. This is a CBS Sports Network game, 7 o'clock, by the way. Um, Utah State 5-0, and has not had Nemes Keita available yet, and yet has been uh, fairly solid defensively. Now they haven't haven't been world beaters here. I've yet to play a team within uh, the Ken Palm top 200, so this is going to be a, a big step up in, in competition. Um, I think Utah State's the better team. 
LSU obviously has that loss at VCU already, a close one, but still. Uh, give me Craig Smith and the Aggies, who could, well, you know, once Kata gets back, could be a top 15 team defensively in America. So, yeah, I'll go Utah State minus one here. I'm going to take LSU, even though I hate picking against Sam Merrill. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> makes me uncomfortable. Okay. But, um, I, I think these are comparable teams. I have both teams ranked in the top 25 and one. I know LSU is not ranked in the AP poll. Uh, they uh, they got dropped for losing a one possession game at, at VCU. Like I don't even understand how. Like what? How do you punish somebody for losing a one possession game at VCU? What are we even doing, uh, man? This is why I write the poll text column know. every week. Have you noticed, by the way, I had to write about the same dude two weeks ago? It's not good. Not it's good. just, it's just. Come on, man. I'm not even gonna say his name because I don't like to bring um, extra attention. But like, please, God, dude, just copy my top twenty-five and one <laughs> next. Don't, don't make, don't make me, don't make me find you again. You, you it, like it actually, that actually does make me uncomfortable. Yeah. And so, like, I don't have many rules, and I don't. By many, I don't have any rules. But two of the things I try to avoid, um, I don't I don't like writing about women, polls, uh, w- women's ballots, because women in sports media already put up with enough stuff. I, I don't I don't feel like contributing to that, and I also don't like going after the same person every week. But as I pointed out, and I promise we'll get back to the picks, I just look for stuff, and then I go, oh well, who did this? And I go and I click on it, and I go, oh god, it's that guy again. I can't believe it's that guy again. So hopefully that guy will get that thing uh, straightened out. Anyway, LSU, Utah State, both in the top 25 and 1. I'm going to take LSU. I'll just take the points. I'll take the underdog. I'll be different than you. I've got LSU. You've got Utah State. Um, Friday. Yeah. Third Friday game. Let's do it. Three, three Friday games. 9 p.m. Eastern. This is a good one. Houston at number 11, Oregon. Oregon is an eight-point favorite. Uh, this is a good one. Um, is this our final Friday game? Yes. Okay. Um, then just as a heads up for the early birds here, there is a quality game to keep an eye on on Friday as well. We got these day tournaments. I love daytime basketball. I didn't think you were going to pick this one, and I don't think it's worth it either. But Nova plays Mississippi State. Brian Antoine's back. Just keep an eye there. Um, that could be a, an intriguing one. Um, I will take the I'll take the Ducks here. Now, Houston only has one loss at the buzzer at home against BYU. It's coming off a road win against Rice uh, where that was maybe a little bit closer than expected. You said it's eight points, Oregon, on that spread? Correct. I'll take I'll take Oregon to cover. I'm not, I'm not loving that, but uh, something tells me that uh, that line is actually bigger than we might think it should be, and so you might be inclined to take Houston. So I'll go anti that, and I'll take the Ducks. I'll be a sucker then. I'll take Houston plus the eight points. You, you can't give Kelvin Sampson eight points. That's disrespectful. <laughs> it's disrespectful. It's Kelvin Sampson for crying out loud. Okay. How you give, sure. How are you going to give Kelvin Sampson eight points in a Friday night game? <laughs> Most disrespectful thing I've ever seen. That's give, not true, but okay. It's disrespectful to Kelvin Sampson. I like you, this, though. We've split. We've split on two of the three so far. All right. Houston plus eight. Okay. Saturday. Yeah. What? 1 p.m. Eastern, I'll be in attendance. Ole Miss at Memphis inside FedEx Forum. According to Ken Palm, because we don't have the actual point spread right now, according to Ken Palm, Memphis is a five-point favorite. You always say 
like inside FedEx Forum, inside this, as opposed to it like what being outside. Like actually, it would be a story if it was Ole Miss versus Memphis outside FedEx Forum. I think that might be, be that'd be something. It's kind of cold. I Ole Miss versus Memphis outside. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna play it in the parking lot. Um, <laughs> I just want you've got these little verbal uh, things. No, it's, it, I do. Lame. I always say inside because in, yeah. it is inside. It's technically right. They are playing it inside. They FedEx are Forum. playing inside FedEx Forum. Like if I called you um, from Walmart. I would probably do it from inside Walmart. Inside Walmart. Yeah. Hey, in Orlando, I'm talking to you from inside Walmart right now. I wouldn't say at what. I'm like, I don't know. Anyway, inside FedEx I'm Forum. I'm at Walmart. Correct. I'm at Walmart. I'm at FedEx Forum. Whatever. It's just a, I'm it's inside just, FedEx Forum. Where are you? I'm you, inside FedEx Forum. That's true. that's true. What was the line on this? Memphis minus five. No Wiseman. You know, it, it's actually, it might be more disrespectful to Kermit Davis. Give Kermit <laughs> Davis than, than Kelvin Sampson. I think it is actually Kermit Pitty, Davis. Pitty give Kermit me those. Wins. Give me those points right now. Oh, give me them. Oh, he wants the rebels. Yeah, he wants the rebels. Ole Miss plus five. Ole Miss plus five, and I'm not going to go all the way there, so I won't take credit for it if it happens. I am dangerously close to a straight up pick, but oh. I'll, I'll resist that. Oh no, um, it is disrespectful to Kermit Davis. Penny's got nothing but first year players. Basically, doesn't have his best first year player. And and you're gonna uh, get, 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 uh, put five points on this, Kermit Davis plus five. That's that. Kermit Davis is the reigning SEC coach of the year. Yeah, I agree. So you're with me on this. No, I got to go with that. Oh, okay. No, you <laughs> don't. You don't have to. I do. The Mets fans are wearing. I cannot give them <laughs> okay. another. Cannot give them another reason to tweet at me. <laughs> you have no idea how badly these people hate me right now because I told them the truth from the jump. Because on the Friday that that uh, James Wiseman went to court, I said, "This is stupid. You're not going to win this, and it's going to cause long-term damage to the program." And now Sports Illustrated is reporting the school's likely to face a major infractions case because it, for reasons that still make no sense. Play James Wiseman. So I told, I said all this. I just said, I just said all this. I said, hey, listen, I know this ain't what you want to hear, but like what your school's doing right now is dumb and it's going to prove costly. And then James Wiseman got hit with more games than he would have gotten, 12 instead of nine. And now Memphis, according to Sports Theater, is facing a, a, a likely infractions case. And they're mad at me because I told them the truth. I tried to help them. You want to know the truth? GP, should we play James Wiseman? No, you should not play James Wiseman. That's dumb. You should rule him ineligible and apply for reinstatement. No. F you. So I can't. I can't give another reason to hate. I'm going Memphis minus five. All right, you got the Tigers. So we disagree on three of the four. Is our fifth also a Saturday game or potentially a Sunday matchup? Sorry for telling the truth. I apologize. What's the next game? Sunday, six o'clock Eastern. Lamar at Kentucky. Yes. Kentucky is minus 22. Oh, man. What was the spread? I know we don't know it right now off the top of our heads. I wonder what the spread was in K- for Kentucky at home versus Utah Valley. It wound up winning by eight. It was obviously a double-digit spread. So if we go back, so Kentucky would have covered against Michigan State, covered against Eastern Kentucky, didn't cover against Evansville, didn't cover against Utah Valley, 2-2 two and two against the spread. This season, they actually also are playing Mount St. Mary's on Friday night, but and then they got to have a two-day turnaround here with Lamar. I'll take Kentucky. I think that they're going to respond bigly and beat Mount St. Mary's by like thirty and beat Lamar by like thirty-two. 
Yeah, Kentucky needs to beat somebody's brains in. Lamar seems like a great candidate for that. <laughs> like they, they need to just go beat the crap out of somebody, and this seems like a place where they would do it. Trivia time! Okay. Who's the head coach at Lamar? Tech Price, come on, man. Can you make these can you make these difficult for me? Do you okay. So then what makes this coaching matchup interesting? <laughs> That's not uh, what? <laughs> Doc Calipari against Tick Price. What do they have in common? They both previously coached the Memphis Tigers. They both did. And why did Tick Price have to resign his position as the Memphis head coach? That I actually don't know the specific details on. Inappropriate relationship with a student. Okay. <laughs> what? You don't know that? <laughs> no, I don't, actually. Dude, I didn't know I'll what never... you were about to say, but I did not think it was going down that lane. Dude, I, I was. We used to play in a Sunday night wiffle ball league, and we had a team that won the wiffle with no big deal, but won the whole league titles. We were champions, and um, this is when I was like right out of college. I was a, I was covering preps. I might have even just been an intern at the Commercial Pill newspaper. The beat writer at the time was the great Zach McMillan, and I'll never forget we're playing uh, we're playing wiffle ball, and Zach had to leave because Tick Price was about to resign because of an inappropriate relationship with a student. Wow. That's a true story. Tick Price. Who was the interim coach in that year? Because it happened right before the season was about to start. Memphis then had to have an interim coach. Who was the interim coach? How gettable is this answer? You'll know the name when I tell it. Is it an active head coach? No. Uh, is it a coach with like more than 300 or 400 career wins? No. No. But, but how about this? It is a coach who coached a future number one pick in the NBA draft. Uh, so he coached. The oh, no, no. He might be a head coach now. I Okay. I take this back. He might. I think he is a head coach right now. Let me double check this. <laughs> I just don't know who this would be. I'm not up to. Th- he, he is a head coach right now. His team is off to a 0-4 start. <laughs> What what conference? The Slack. Swack coach. Who's in the Swack? <sighs> Parish. I can't tell you. Who is it? The great Johnny Jones. Johnny Jones. Who, of course, um, coached at LSU, Coach Ben yeah. Simmons, who was the number one pick in the draft. But Johnny was Tick Price's lead assistant. At Memphis. So when Tick had to resign, Johnny Jones was the interim coach. Did a nice job in that one year. And then was replaced by John Calipari. The rest is history. All right, the let's get let's get out of here. <laughs> the rest is here. So uh, did we both take UK? We both took UK, we did. right? Yes. So we are different on three games and the same on two. That's correct. All right. Well, Bet them, bet, bet them wisely. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe to a podcast. It's just I do it through Apple, so I, I just think everybody should. But if you've got another thing you like to do, go do that thing, and then we will uh, talk to you again on Sunday. Till then, take care. 
What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a dude average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.